Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up! Podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle, by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me, as always, is my partner in crime. You know him. You love him. Is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, it kind of occurred to me, we talked a little bit about this privately on DM on uh, Monday afternoon, but... Here are the Broncos about to hit training camp on Thursday. Everyone's reporting Wednesday. And they're two second-round picks. Dalton Reisner and Drew Locke remain unsigned. Yeah, in the age of slotted contract and the rookie weight scale, it's surprising that this close to training camp, they still have a couple unsigned players. But I'm not too worried about that. I, I think they'll be signed tomorrow, Tuesday at the earliest. Uh, or the latest, I should say, because reporting day is Wednesday. I don't think they're going to be holdouts. There's no contractual uh, disconnect there, no language issues. It's just a matter of getting it done. So I don't foresee an issue. Yeah, I, I think some fans were wringing their hands over it a little bit. Once I started paying attention to it as an issue, I saw some people talking about it on the forums and on Twitter. But it's really – I don't know exactly what the holdup here is on getting them signed, but they're probably just waiting until they're physically back in the building to have them sign the papers and be done with it. It would be my guess. Yeah, it could be it, or it just could be a formality. It's, it, you're probably right about that. They have to come into Dove Valley. Everyone's reconvening there. I mean, that's that's definitely a possibility. I don't think there's any sort of negative implication behind this or no. anything. So fans looking for a holdout or worrying about that, they can stop bringing their hands. We had a great show for you today. We're going to have a, our guest that's going to give us the inside scoop on the latest with the 2019 Kansas City Chiefs, kind of preview this coming season with one of the Denver Broncos' most bitter division rivals, Seth Kaiser, is going to join us here of The Athletic here in just a minute. But first, a couple quick reminders. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod, because that's the best way for you to stay abreast and keep up in real time. Have your finger on the pulse of what's going on with the show. Don't forget, if you're on iTunes, to leave us a creative review. And if you like what you hear, 
five-star rating and appreciate all our great listeners on YouTube. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment. It all chips in and helps us tremendously. All right, joining us now is Seth Kaiser of The Athletics. Been covering the Kansas City Chiefs for a long, long time. He and I go way back. It's been a while, but uh, Seth, how are you doing, my friend? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. Chad, it's really good to talk to you, man. It's been too long. Indeed. I think the last time we got together on the pod, Zach and I had you on last summer for a similar kind of know-your-enemy episode on the Kansas City Chiefs. And, man, you've had a good year over there. I have. uh, Yeah, it's been a good year. I I was waiting because I was going to ask you if you remembered that because I remember remember saying some things about Patrick Mahomes that now seem downright prophetic if you look back. Yeah, Yeah. I got to tip my cap to you. And we got... You know, there was a harbinger of that in week 17 of his rookie year when, right. you know, he didn't have the greatest game, but he left the field because the Chiefs had that game in hand. And still, when, when Tyler Bray lost the upper hand and Good Lord. they just brought yeah. him back in and they the Broncos could not beat him. Yeah, he's it, it's been it's been a good year. It's it's been a very cool year. You know, obviously, I, I switched from SB Nation to the athletic uh, you know, last April or so. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool how it all came together in one of the most exciting chief seasons. Well, probably the most exciting one since the Super Bowl since year, forever. you know, yeah. in like I mean, 19. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> when when they last won it, I, it was like at least five years ago or so, something like that. <laughs> yeah, well, we, uh, our fans, our listeners, they they want to know what's up with, with the Kansas City Chiefs. So, I mean, obviously we saw firsthand, you know, two games last year. The Broncos played the Chiefs pretty tough. I mean, they're on the losing end, obviously, and they were outmatched at the quarterback position, clearly. But both mm-hmm. of those games, Seth, were desi- decided by single score. And so I think I think the general feeling in Broncos country is that clearly right now the Kansas City Chiefs, they're the king of the hill. They're on top of the mountain. They're the defending divisional champs. They got to the AFC title game and all that. But I think the general feeling is the Broncos aren't that far off. But before we get into the Broncos and what you think about that, let's get mm-hmm. your take on Patrick Mahomes because I've been listening to the podcast in Chiefs Kingdom. I've listened to a couple of your recent pods over mm-hmm. there on Locked on Chiefs. And the general consensus seems to be at least from the analysts covering the team that don't don't expect Patrick Mahomes to go flying off a cliff suddenly in in his third year and second year as a full-time starter what do you think is the the strongest argument for Mahomes breaking precedent and duplicating what was just an uh, unbelievable 2018 season I think that's I think that's a really good question because you're right. For him to duplicate or even come close, he would have to do something that's really only been done one time in history. I, I wrote a, an article about this statistical regression. The type of season he had has only happened a few times, and only Drew Brees ever kind of replicated, you know, a, a 4,500 yard, 45 touchdown type season two years in a row. Because hmm. I think if he threw for 4,500 yards and threw for 45 touchdowns, people wouldn't be like, oh, see, regression, even though it's technically less. Right. They'd be like, holy crap, he did it again. Um, I think the strongest argument for him being able to do it is if you look at history and the only quarterback to do it is Brees. Well, he has something that most of these other quarterbacks who did it don't have in Sean Payton. And I think Andy Reid is maybe, besides Mahomes' obvious talent, all that, I think his situation is so unique and so different from anything else that we've ever really seen. 
And I don't want to say in NFL history, but I think it might be there when you combine the coach that he's with and the yeah. playmaking talent that he's surrounded by, that even leaving his own talent off the table, I think he's got the best shot at doing it that anyone in history has when you combine those things with his talent. Obviously, Seth, you know, the best way for Mahomes to duplicate that success is is having that weapon, his biggest weapon in place in, in Tyree Kill. Right. I, I followed that pretty closely. I'm sure, obviously, you have too and everyone in the NFL. It, it's been so up and down and so unpredictable. It seemed like yeah. he was guilty at first, and then it seems like now his innocence is emerging, and it seems like uh, things were framed in a certain way. What's the latest on that? What can you tell us about Tyree Kill? So with Tyree Kill, the, the way things have gone down is – that I basically tell people at this point that I can't say everything that I've heard just because this has really turned into what I see in my day job with the attorney stuff. It's like a family law case at this point, or like it actually is a child protection case. And here's the thing with child protection cases. You never know what actually went down. Even if you're a lawyer who's involved in the case and you have access to all the case files, ultimately these issues come down to where there's two people in a home and one person says one thing, the other person says another thing, and there's no way of knowing. Right. And I think you, you've got a really good handle on that. This came out and he looked, it looked really, really bad. And now it like comes out that, you know, KCTV five played a chopped up audio, which was just the most like mind blowing thing. I mean, talk about, I mean, it just, that's really kind of turned the tide for him. Ironically mm -hmm. enough that now even national people are starting to say, wow, maybe we don't know what's going on. This certainly started off looking like Hill was gone, that yeah. he was going to be completely out of Kansas City. Now, based on what I know, uh, he's probably not going to get suspended for terribly long. And I think the Chiefs plan on keeping him around. I think they believe his version of events, and which was made kind of clear when his lawyer issued that four-page letter to the NFL, which of course got leaked, quote-unquote, which was a brilliant move by his attorney get his side of the story out there um, to help maybe sway public sentiment at least a bit, which will allow the team to justify re-signing him. It wouldn't surprise me if they, if they signed him to a contract extension, if not in the super near future, I think they might strike while the iron's hot and to phrase it as a businessman, they can probably get him cheaper now than they'll be able to this time next year. And hmm. so they, I, I could very much see that. And so that definitely is going to help Mahomes out because he'll, it's finally kind of become widely accepted that he hovers in that top five in terms of wide receivers, and he's one of the most unique ones in the NFL. In a best-case scenario, you can have Tyreek Hill and Harbin on the field at the same time. Right, along with Watkins. And I've actually right. – I keep meaning to look up 40 times. I don't know if there's ever been, especially when you combine Kelsey at tight end, I that's more speed than I can remember on any team. And the Chiefs were already so much faster than everyone else last year. It really is freakish. Now, I don't expect Hardman to do that much because he's still new to the position. Reed's offense is tough to learn. But that's a lot of speed to have on the field. So that could be fun. That's exactly what a, a big-arm guy like Patrick Mahomes, man, he thrives on that speed. And you saw it so many times. So many of those 50 touchdowns he tossed last year was just that receiver getting – you know, getting behind the, the safety and him just putting it over the top. And speaking mm -hmm. of the offensive side of the ball, <clears throat> I've been listening, as I mentioned, to a few of your pods lately and just trying to get my finger on, on the pulse of what's happening there. You mm -hmm. seem to be really high on Damian Williams. What's going on there with the, the future of that position? Sure. So with Damian Williams, part of it just comes down to fit. Uh, Andy Reid running backs are always productive. That is, you know, death taxes and Andy Reid running backs getting 1,200 total yards. Yeah. <laughs> it's always going to happen that way. What makes Williams maybe unique is that 
He is, if he were to remind me of any running back that Reed's had, it would be, it would be Brian Westbrook in that he's a better receiver than he is a runner. Now I'm not saying he'll be as good as Westbrook because Westbrook was a stud. Um, but he's a really gifted route runner. He adjusts to the ball really well in the air. Honestly, he has at times, not often, not as often as he did in Miami. He'll line up in the slot and run, you know, we, he'll run pivot routes. He'll run stuff that's a little that you don't generally see from a running back. And he does it well. And I think that puts him in a position in Reed's offense to operate more like how Reed did with, say, like Jamal Charles back in 2013, throwing the running back the ball 80, 90, 100 times, as opposed to what he's done the last three or four years. Kareem Hunt, was a he's a good receiver, but not a great one. He's more just once the ball is in his hands, he's really good. Same with, you know, Spencer Ware. And so I think it might be more of a fit issue than anything else. He, he's an exceptional receiver, and he's, he's just good enough as a runner that he won't be a weakness there. And so I think it's more of a fit issue than anything else. I think in any other offense, Damian Williams would be kind of an average type guy. I think because of his particular skill set and fit here in Kansas City, he might be bumped to something well above that just because the fit is so perfect. Now, Seth, let's shift gears a little bit because the Chiefs offense should be pretty good regardless of the Hill situation and regardless mm-hmm. of a, a possible regression from Mahomes, however slight it may be. But that defense, that isn't to be – or that was the Achilles heel, but yeah. they made a lot of changes. They made they brought in Spagnuolo's coordinator. They made some uh, you know personnel moves, shipping away D4, bringing in Frank Clark. <laughs> Is this the year you know the, the Chiefs defense can go from becoming a weakness to a strength? Can they win because of them and not just in spite of them? Man, it is so frustrating. It wasn't but like three years ago that they were winning because of the defense in spite of the offense. It's so frustrating. This is a very, you know, because Chiefs moment where it's like, man, they can't ever put it all together. So the short answer is I don't know. I mean, there's so much unknown right now because you nailed it. They made a ton of changes. Um, You know, if you talk in terms of personnel, um, you, you've got new ends there in Okafor and Clark. You've got a new line, at least one new linebacker in Wilson, probably two because Darren Lee is probably going to get the starting nod at the will spot. Um, cornerback has been relatively static except for bringing in Bashad Breland. Um, and safety is completely revamped. So, I mean, you're talking like, you know, 80% of the personnel is different. And then you bring in an entirely new coordinator in Spagnolo, entirely new position group coaches in house and daily. And it's impossible to say what it'll look like because there's so much unknown. I think where Chiefs fans land right now is it's almost impossible. Now, I'm not going to say impossible because I remember when Chiefs fans said it was impossible to get worse than Matt Castle and then Tyler Palco started some games. So I never say impossible. <laughs> I never say, oh, it can't get worse because it sure can. Yeah. Um, but I, I think with how Sutton ran the defense last year, and I wrote a few articles about him, not just about how the production was bad out of the defense, but schematically, I'm sure you guys watched the AFC championship game and down the stretch against Tom freaking Brady. They repeatedly ran a a man shell with two safeties over the top without pressing with deep safety. I mean, repeatedly getting scorched time again and people were mad at like Kendall Fuller or the corner and it's like there's nothing he can do they know what they're running you know oh why isn't the pressure getting there because they're getting rid of the ball in two and a half seconds and it was just over and over again so predictable and it was reported afterwards actually um, I think Therese Paler might have been one of the people to report it he, he quoted a Patriots player and I can't remember if it was a Patriot player I, 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 very vague here and I know but I remember basically saying well we knew what they were running 
based on the alignment. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is it, it, it's got to be an improvement. We just don't know how much. You know, if it, they're slightly better and they're only bad instead of terrible, I don't think that'll move the needle that much. But if they can just be average, we just right. want average, guys. Yeah. That's what we've been saying about the Broncos' offense last couple of years. <laughs> yeah. Just consistent, just average, just stable, just do your job. Just points. Yeah, could you just not suck? Like, that's, <laughs> that's it. That's all we're looking for. the barometer. For. Right. And so that's the hope. Um, people are really excited about the pass rush, especially that should look very different because Bob Sutton, and I'm going to be writing about this in more depth. Um, I mentioned it briefly. I'm doing like a chiefs one one type series. Um, they, sh- they, they ran the fewest like stunts, twists, gamemanship up front last year in the NFL. Um, and part of that was cause they had personnel who could win one-on-one, but that doesn't work eventually. You know, teams just get rid of the ball more quickly. Whereas Brendan Daly coming in from New England ran that stuff constantly. And that's one of the reasons they had a good pass rush despite only having really Trey Flowers. And so fans are hoping to see a a pass rush that even though they lost, obviously, a pair of excellent pass rushing edge guys, they're hoping to see a pass rush that, if maybe not better, might be a little more consistent. Hmm. Let me uh, let me throw it back to the other side of the ball. And by the way, congratulations on getting Thornhill. I know a lot of <laughs> those of us at Mile High Huddle, our draft guys were head over heels into him. So he's he's a stud, man. That's just another player we have to we have to look forward to for the next <laughs> ten plus years. But back on the other side of the ball, and more of kind of a ten thousand feet type of question. Andy sure. Reid, sixty one. You know, yep. this is a question that's been persisting a lot. You know, the last two three years. What's I mean, has there been any kind of messaging from the club in terms of how long he plans to coach? And do you think there is any kind of succession plan in place considering his, what is he, 61? Yeah. Um, yeah, he's 61. He, you know, he just uh, signed or, re, you know, signed like a five-year extension. And he's been real clear that, that he's sticking around through that at least. Hmm. So for another four years. Um, he talks a lot about he feels kind of renewed. I think I think uh, there's a few things going on. I think he likes coaching Patrick Mahomes, oh, yeah. um, which makes sense. Yep. But I think you know I think this is the most fun toy he's ever had to play with, and I think that also applies to like Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and some of these other things. Like he, I think he's having fun. Um, he's still age and otherwise. He's still Brett Veach talked about this. He. Reed is still there at 4.30, 4 o'clock in the morning every morning, still there when everyone else leaves at 7 at night. I, that's just – that's all the guy does. And so he doesn't show any signs of slowing down. So I don't know of any succession plan at this point. That – while Brett Veach is the GM, everyone knows that Andy Reed runs the show, that that is his building. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. Seth, I have a question. I'm going to get to uh, you know what your take on the Broncos is, but I just want to ask you one thing about the pass rush, about the Chiefs. I, I wanted to ask yeah. you a couple of questions ago. I, a Chiefs troll or fan or whatever, I guess, kind of got into <laughs> it us with us on our pod about we talked about going from D4 to Frank Clark, and I said it was kind of a lateral move only because D4, I think, is a better pass rusher and Clark is better against the run. But what's your take? Is it an upgrade, downgrade, or, or a lateral move there? Well, I what I do, and, and Chad, I'm sure, is familiar with this. Um, what I do when I'm reviewing a player like that is I, I chart every snap for, say, five or six games at least, and I, I chart wins, losses, and neutral plays to try to get an idea as to what's happening every snap. And what I found 
with Clark as compared to both Houston and Ford. For one, I've never been as high on Ford as everyone else. Ford is a guy who does not win at an elite percentage, but when he wins, he wins quickly. And so he racks up sacks when he's doing well, but he doesn't win at a high percentage. Additionally, he is not matchup proof. Like if you watch the Rams game, Whitworth ate him alive. Um, now Whitworth does that to a lot of people, but he, he also, he had to be on, on a specific side of the line or he just couldn't get it done. And so there, there are a few things going on with Ford. I think he did a great job. I think in a specific role, he does really, really well, but he's not, I, I was never as high on Ford as some people in chief's kingdom were. So I'm a bad person to ask. I still thought Houston was superior last year. Numbers aside, the difference between him and Clark were, was consistency and matchup. So, Frank Clark's numbers, his win percentages, his loss percentages, they stayed relatively static. Obviously, they changed a bit, but not nearly as much as Ford's, depending on matchup. I went out of my way to watch him against Whitworth and Tyron Smith and a few more elite tackles, and he still won at a solid percentage against elite competition. That separates him. He also wins in more of a variety of ways. I personally don't think it's that close. Now, lest you think I'm just being a homer, I reached out to a couple of offensive linemen in the NFL and asked them what they thought with the guarantees of anonymity, anonymity, anonymity. I couldn't <laughs> tell anyone who they it's were. One of those words. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't tell anyone who they were. People are like, that guy's a lawyer. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, and I just asked them, you know, what do you think? You think lateral move forward, move, you know, backward move. And these are guys who have played against both. And both of them said one of them more kindly than other. one of them flat out said, uh, comparing the two is a joke. Clark is so much better, it's not even funny. Um, the other one said much more politely that Clark has more of a variety of ways of winning uh, as being a strength guy and a guy who can win around the edge. And he said he's just a lot more consistent and refined and a significantly better run defender, which is basically saying the same thing the first guy said, but more nicely. Yeah. Now, it's all just guessing until the rubber hits the road. I personally vastly prefer Clark to Ford. I think it's a big step forward, but you just never know how someone will respond to getting paid until you see it. And either way, he should look at next to Chris Jones too. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean that, that whole deal, anyone should look good when they're rushing next to Chris Jones. Cause he's, he's, he's just a freak. And so I, I think, I think overall they might be able to remain relatively static up front despite losing Ford and Houston, which just blows my mind, honestly. Yeah. Like when they lost Ford and Houston, I remember sitting there, I was like, okay, cool, 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 cool. You know, just like. Dude, what this- happened with Houston? I mean, he, what, he appeared in like 12 games. He still almost hit double digit sacks last year. Yep. He, Houston is one of those cases, in my opinion, where a fan base turned on the guy because he had a big contract and he got hurt at a really terrible time. His win percentage and loss percentages were both superior to Ford's last year. He was also more matchup proof like that epic game against the Rams on Monday night football, which was just insane. Houston and Chris Jones were the only two defenders who showed up that day. Um, Ford got completely washed. And so, He's still, in my opinion, is a good player. And especially now that he's not in Sutton's system, it became one of the worst kept secrets in Kansas City media circles that Houston, who is a very smart player, was just, he had no faith in Sutton's system by by last year and the year before. No faith. And I think that affects you when you're a defender. Yeah. If you have no faith in the, the defensive system. So 
He's not as fast as he used to be. You know, he used to be kind of a freakish athlete as well as freakishly strong. Now he's just an okay athlete, but he's still freakishly strong, still has incredible technique. I think he's going to do really well in Indianapolis. And too. honestly, if the Chiefs don't spend some of the money they have available, I'm going to be irritated that they let him walk because I like Alex Okafor, but he's not Justin Houston. Yeah. I sometimes forget he had that 22-sack season in 2014. Yeah. I mean, yep. unbelievable year. But, hey, one more for you, Seth, and then we're going to cut you loose. We want to know what the perception is. You know, the Broncos obviously big time failed in uh, the Vance Joseph experiment. Case Keenum, sure. another categorical failure. You got some new blood coming in. You got a defensive-minded first-time head coach. You want to talk about age. Vic Fangio's right up there with Andy yes. Reid. He's a first-time head coach. So you got Fangio coming in. You got mm-hmm. Flacco coming in. What, what's your take on the Broncos? What do you expect to see in 2019? I love Fangio. Um, when when the Bears grabbed him, I remember thinking, man, that would have been a good hire for the Chiefs. Um, I mean, I think he is. I think he's right up there with like Wade Phillips in the best DCs in the game. Whether that'll translate to coaching, you never know. But based on everything I'm hearing, it sounds like he's he's doing the things he needs to do. Um, so he's a bit of a question mark in terms of overall coaching. Just because you never know how those guys will do. Wade Phillips was a terrible head coach. Romeo Cornell was a terrible head coach. Josh McDaniels was a terrible head coach. But there are tons of coordinators also that turned into great head coaches. So who knows? I think that he will have that defense playing incredibly well. I think I think they're gonna now they don't have the same talent that they had, you know, four or five years ago, because that's just how that goes. But they still have a really talented group. They gave Mahomes maybe the toughest time anyone gave him besides maybe the Ravens and the Patriots, especially in that first half, uh, the first time they played. I mean, there's a lot of talent there that can match up with a lot of teams. And so I think they're going to be very tough on defense. I am not a Flacco guy. Thank you. Um, I, I just, I watch his tape and especially now I've never really been a Flacco guy. I think Anquan Bolden was the real MVP of that Ravens team that won the Super Bowl to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Like if you if you watch Flacco's highlights, when you guys know this better than anyone. The reason they won the Super Bowl and I'm not trying to dredge up old wounds so please don't come back at me because there's plenty of bad Chiefs playoff losses good, you can make fun good. of me for. It. The only reason they even got to the Super Bowl was because of a terrible play by a safety that on a ball that should have been picked off yeah. down the field and that, and I'm not trying to mock anyone, but I mean that, that, that should have been knocked down and Flacco horribly underthrew it. And everyone's like, Oh, what a clutch play. It's like, no, it was a terrible throw. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, he got lucky. Yeah. So Flacco, I don't know whether he's an upgrade over case Keenum at this point, but I do think that uh, Fangio, who'd he bring in as an offensive coordinator, Rich Scangarello, who was the quarterbacks coach in San Francisco of the oh. Nick Mullins of the world. Sure. Well, you know what? I think he um he could have definitely he comes from good stock then in terms of learning Shanahan system, which is a great system. Um I, I think that could be definitely interesting. I think he did some good things with with Mullins, I mean, considering everything that went down there. Yep. Um I think a lot will depend on that because I don't think I think Joe Flacco is I, I think he it really is, in my opinion, and maybe I'm wrong, is in the same category as, as a case Keenum in that if everything goes well around him, he'll do fine. 
It, but if things aren't going well, he's not going to lift them. And so I think the Broncos, and this is just my opinion, I, I don't know if they've got quite the horses to compete in the AFC West this year just because the Chargers, I mean, and now every year, you know, oh, the Chargers are going to win the division. God, we've been hearing <laughs> that for like a decade. Yep. Something that Broncos fans and Chiefs fans can be united in their annoyance about. <laughs> but uh, I mean, they are really, they are a very talented roster and Rivers Arm every year, I think this is the year. Yep. This is the year that it just loses too much, and every year his passes get more and more duck-like, but they keep just landing perfectly in the arms of his receivers. That's it's right. so annoying. Every throw he makes, when I watch even on the broadcast, I can't imagine what it looks like live, I think it's going to get intercepted. Every one of them. Because they're just ducks. Mm-hmm. But they're just perfect little ducks. Anyway, I just I, the perception, I don't know what perception Chiefs fans have. My perception is that I think the Broncos, you know, I'm a little worried about their protection for Flacco. He's not a guy that does well under a lot of heat. Um, I'm worried about their ability to keep him clean. And I just, I don't think that their defense, I I think their offense is probably going to be mediocre enough that unless that defense can be an absolute powerhouse, I don't think they're going to be able to quite hang given the amount of talent in the AFC West right now. I think they'll be better than the Raiders to be sure. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> That's the biggest thing is that, you know, it's it comes back, it devolves back to, to the quarterback situation because with Fangio, with the defense, you know, they're going to keep them in ball games And even against teams, right. high-powered teams like Mahomes and the Chiefs, it's going to be a game. Question is, is Flacco going to be enough in the clutch, you know, when it's a single score or, you know, a 10-point game and you're at the top of the fourth quarter, whatever it might be. Right. You see the type of guy that's going to be able to close the distance. If you look at his his historical numbers, it, it shows that he is good in the clutch. But the perception is that he's not. Is that that's when he crumbles. But you know he he's he's kind of a, an enigma. We're all pretty much guessing at this point in terms of what to expect from Flacco as a Bronco and a new team for the first time in in his twelfth year as a pro. Absolutely. And you never know how he might respond to that. I mean, it's not like he doesn't have talent. I've never been a fan of his accuracy, but I mean, he still has a cannon. He's obviously not going to get rattled by any situation. I, I just, you know, I think of it not just the way you phrased it, you know, you know, when you're when you're down seven, down ten. I also think of it in terms of what do they do? And this is from watching Alex Smith all those years. What do they do when they're up seven or up ten? Right. Can they put the game away? Yep. And that's a big deal. Can you keep a drive going an extra, you know, an extra first down or two? Because, you know, in the fourth quarter, the the, the extra three minutes you buy with a first down is gold. Crucial, yep. And so that's that's where I question what he'll do. But like you said, it's all guesswork at this point. He could come out firing, and wouldn't that be a hoot? I, mm. I think the, the NFL is at its best when the AFC West is the best division in football. Yep. Well, we cannot disagree with you, my friend. Thanks <laughs> thanks for joining us. Seth Kaiser, find him on Twitter at Real MN Chiefs Fan, short, of course, for Minnesota. Real Minnesota Chiefs Fan, MN. Seth, thanks for joining us. Make sure you find him on Twitter and uh, enjoy his works on The Athletic. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you, brother. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. <laughs> All right, Zach, that was a great conversation with Seth. Anything, I mean, just from from our conversation there, what's what what do you think you're gonna see from the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes in twenty nineteen? I think Seth's opinion aligns with ours that he might take a step back, Mahomes, but they're still going to be a deadly offense. And the fact that Tyreek Hill might not be suspended at all, they can have him and Kelsey Watkins and Hardman on the field and Damian Williams in the backfield. There's still going to be a problem. 
But one of the biggest takeaways was to me that the perception of the Broncos in and around the Chiefs and the fan base and the team yeah. is that the Broncos are still pretenders. They're still a middling team, and they're not feared or respected by Kansas City at all. And it seems like they're going to be you know, the opinion of Chiefs fans, basement dwellers this year. They're not high on Flacco. Uh, they think there could be some transition to the new head coach, and Fangio might not work out. So it's surprising that um, they're being written off, at least right. in one pan's opinion. I know he doesn't speak for the team, but uh, the Broncos could have a lot of extra motivation to beat the Chiefs this year, at least get back on the winning track against them. And part of that is because John Elway keeps going back to the same model of trying to find the the Band-Aid over the bullet hole, right? Try and find yep. that short-term fix to the quarterback situation, whereas the Chiefs, you know, they did it the hard way. Even the Chargers, they did it the hard way. And, you know, obviously Phillip Rivers, he's been a, a Charger since 2004. But both of those guys, both those teams have their franchise guy, and that's what separates it. Like, clearly, you know, and they did it the hard way. They paid the price. They went through some of the uncertainty. And fortunately for the Chiefs, you know, they didn't really lose a step because they were a competitive team under Alex Smith and they were a competitive team the very next year, even more so with Patrick Mahomes. But I think that's the biggest thing, Zach, and then we'll get out of here because we've, we've been on long a little bit here tonight. But that's the biggest thing is we'll see whether or not Flacco can be more than just a short-term Band-Aid like Case Keenum proved to be last year and help elevate this team at, at some level. But if not, eventually, Zach, John Elway, as an organization, they have to accept their fate, bite the bullet, and invest in that young quarterback who, at this, this very moment, is Drew Locke. And ironically enough, you know, Locke drew comparisons in the pre-draft process to Patrick Mahomes. And if they do it the right way, Chad, if they just let him develop for a year, just like Mahomes did, let him get a full year or most of it and learn and do it the right way, they could have their franchise quarterback. But what Seth said about the AFC West kind of aligned with my opinion also, that there's gunslingers everywhere. And this is not a division to take lightly. Even teams like the Raiders, who are basement dwellers, they're going to be competitive with Derek Carr. They have Antonio Brown. That's an explosive offense. If you stack up these quarterbacks, Quarterbacks in a row, Flacco is the one that sticks out in a bad way. Is he good enough to keep up with Rivers and Mahomes? That will be the difference in the Broncos season. That's the difference between eight and eight and ten and six. Well said. Well said. But hey, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. Again, big thanks to Seth Kaiser. Make sure you check out his work on uh, Twitter, on The Athletic. He does phenomenal work. He's a, if you like deep, di- deep dive type of content, obviously you do. That's why you listen to this pod and why you read what we do at milehighhuddle.com. Seth's work on the Chiefs and in the AFC West is, is right up there. It's some of the best content currently being published on the NFL. But, hey, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. You can find Zach on Twitter, at Kelberman247. Myself, at Chad N. Jensen. Stay tuned tomorrow. Building the Broncos will be back with a fresh episode, and then Zach and I will return for an episode for your listening pleasure to open up the first day of training camp. Until then, be good. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you then. You've been listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. I'm Su Lin Wong, host of The Prince, a new podcast series from The Economist. It's about China's leader, Xi Jinping. He's the most powerful man in the world, but he remains a mystery. His story is hidden behind a brutal censorship and propaganda machine. After 10 years in charge, it looks like he'll break convention to stay on, perhaps for the rest of his life. 
I'll tell the real story of China's leader, the lessons he learned from watching his parents lose everything, and from rising through the ranks of a vicious regime. Now he's using those lessons to control over a billion people. He's changed China. He's changed my life, and the decisions he makes affect us all. To understand what's next, you need to know where he came from. Listen to The Prince from The Economist wherever you get your podcasts.